In this series, we hear stories about the role masculinity plays in today's world, as I try to become a better version of myself every day. Join me and let's discover this together. Today, I'm actually going to be the guest on the show, and for one episode only, my producer Sam is going to be asking me the questions. My story is about how a recent incident made me confront my own masculinity, and how this difficult event inspired me to make some big changes in my life. Let's travel to Mexico. It's May 2022, and I'd been living with a local family for the past five weeks while they helped me improve my Spanish. I went to my Mexican home with the family that I was living with. There was a mother and two daughters that were living there. It was part of this really amazing community. They call it a barrio. It's basically a gated community. It's very well protected and there's people from all different generations there. So Carla is one of the daughters and she's in her late 20s and she's just secured a brand new position with a company that she was really excited about. So she said that two of her friends and her were going for some food in the evening. So around about eight, nine o'clock in the evening, we walked to this restaurant. We decided afterwards to go to a nightclub. We were dancing and I I remember getting a a round of shots of uh, tequila in to celebrate Carla's new job. Then Carla went back. So I was left with the two Mexican girls. We had continued having drinks, danced, etc. Got to about 3 a.m. and we all said we you know, were ready to go back now. So I looked on Google Maps, said, oh, okay, it's you know, a nine, ten minute walk. So I thought I'll walk back. As I walk, I get to just before the street that I'm living on at the time. It progressively gets darker. I remember looking at my phone. I looked on WhatsApp because my friend had sent me a message and I heard a noise behind me. You know those little, those small little stones, those gravelly stones, and when people are walking, you feel the friction of the stone under the, the bottom of their feet on their sole. And I turned around, the shock just really floods through my system. There's three men here, and I remember one of them punching me, and it hit me right on the left cheek. What proceeded was, repetitive punches and kicks. I was getting punched and kicked in the head, in the stomach, and I was just in protection mode of just going straight into fetal position to cover my face, which was the right thing to do in that moment, whilst the punches and the kicks are raining down on me. After about 45 seconds to a minute, they ran off. And once they'd ran away, I just remember the street being completely quiet, no cars passing whatsoever, and I just felt the shock still through my system. I was thinking, oh shit, how am I going to get back into this building? After patting down my pockets and realising there was no phone and wallet there, and I felt like there was nothing there, I put my hand into my pocket, and I felt this weird sense of happiness. I could feel the set of keys that I had to get into the building. You must have been feeling like so many emotions. You must have been feeling shock, vulnerable at this point. Can you just describe how you were feeling there? We'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show. 
I actually, weirdly, didn't feel that bad. Because the thing that was most upsetting to me was my... And, and it's such a first-world material thing to say, but the fact I didn't have a phone anymore. So I wasn't sure if I was, if I was able to contact people on WhatsApp, get access to my emails, all those things. But yeah, I didn't have any money. And I went back into the house and realised I'd left the building door open and I thought, I, I don't want anyone else to come back. So I kind of came back outside and I was a little bit scared to go, to go back just in case they were around the corner. So I, I was able to close the door, lock the door of the building and then come back into the house and then immediately went to my laptop and thought, okay, how can I be prag pragmatic about this? What can I do now? So I can immediately cancel my credit cards. But I realised shit, I don't have any money, and then realised, thankfully, I'd left my Barclay card in my suitcase because I never take that out with me. So I realised I still had that, so I still had access to money. After I'd cancelled all the cards, I'd gone into the... Sh I'd had a shower, wanted to clean myself from the situation or clean the myself from the punishment that I'd received. I didn't want to go to bed in that sort of state. So I was probably up for about two hours. At what point... Did you see the, the Mexican family then that you were living with? I imagine you didn't see them that night. No, I saw them next day. How, what, would, what did your face look like? I had a, a, a it, was not, it was a black eye, but it wasn't a full black eye. It was, a, it was kind of, my eyelids were black. My nose was busted and I had some scrapes. I had some scrapes on my elbow. So I probably woke up about maybe 9, 9.30. So I'd only had about five hours sleep. And I came downstairs and I just said to myself, you know, I'm not going to pretend this has not happened. I'm just going to be honest and open about what actually happened. And I told them, the other daughters who I didn't go out with, her name was Barbara. And the mother is called Lupita. So they were they were sat in the dining room area and I and explained the story to them in my broken Spanish. So it was difficult because I'm not able to fully express all the nuances and the subtleties of what actually happened. So I was able to, I was able to say, uh, tres, tres hombres me robaron anoche, which basically means three men robbed me last night. And then I explained the whole, whole story. So it was almost weirdly good for my Spanish to, to be able to speak in past tense and... Ever the optimist there. <laughs> speak about the details. But I, I suppose it was weird because... You know, I, I tried to make a joke about it, and I think a lot of men do that. You know, if they've been involved in something bad, they try to see the funny side of it to soften the soften the blows of what actually happened. And I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So because I'd laughed and joked about it, we were joking about it the following day as well. Mm. But it not I'd not fully processed what had actually happened. It was still just, well, this thing happened last night, and I was trying to kind of recover my money situation and my phone but it not really sunk in you said you were joking with people is that like a typical way that you deal with challenging feelings yeah definitely yeah i generally generally do do that who is it that you would usually kind of open up to and how deep would those conversations go would it be would you be able to speak about that usually with somebody with with close friends i'm able to go into detail with that kind of thing and and not feel any sort of shame or embarrassment and I've got a mixture of female and male friends that I would talk about this with and it's it's so funny to see the difference in responses that you get mm. because with women 
straight away is, oh no i'm so sorry to hear that you that that happened to you oh i, I wish i could just give you a hug and, and you know make you feel better oh, i wish i was there with you right now i'm i just can't believe this has happened what can i do to help and male, <laughs> male friends are completely male friends are completely different or, or my friends is <laughs> one of them said oh so you didn't get any digs on these three guys then <laughs> like surely you would have punched one of these people or surely you would have had an opportunity to punch these guys and they're saying it in a in a jokey in a jokey way and i i don't take it personally but i just find it funny the differences between men's reactions men's responses and, and females responses do you remember what i said to you you actually said i'm so sorry to hear that and is that because we worked together <laughs> who knows maybe because you're a friend you're a, you're a friend as well but friends are like fucking hell mate you could have you, you, you should have knocked them out you know you should <laughs> you should have you at least got a few punches in on them how do you feel about that is that like nice that they keep you grounded or would you prefer that they didn't like joke about it because it's actually like something that's quite serious has happened to you yeah well it's interesting because the first so it happened on friday night and then the saturday and sunday had not really I'd not processed it. It only started to process on Monday and it was a delayed reaction to it. So I'd only told friends at this point, I think I'd emailed a few people and told them what happened and why you can't get hold of me on, on the phone. And a few others I'd not messaged back. So they started to, you know, a few people had sent some emails saying, hey, I've noticed my message to you on WhatsApp is uh, on one tick. You know, you know how, how are you? You okay? Just, I was a bit worried. It just, I suppose it depends on the personality of the, of the person, but I just find it very revealing about men and women in our, in society and how we, how we respond to things like that. Do you think they respond like that because they think that they're expected to, or is that their way of dealing with, with a difficult subject is like you said, for you joking about it? I think it's a combination of the two. I think it's a really good question. I've had situations with friends before, if I've told them something quite maybe like a difficult situation I'd been in, I'd noticed a couple of them would be a bit uncomfortable dealing with it, you know, and or, or suggesting something back. So maybe some guys don't want to go into the vulnerability side of things. Maybe you are expected as a man in some situations, in, well, in terms of being a masculine man, to actually respond in, in a sort of a jokey way that's, you know, about about bravado and you know, showing that you can defend yourself because it, there's a, there's a feeling of, I think the situation would be very different if it was one man who'd attacked me from behind. And I would have definitely felt differently about this. If one man had come behind me and punched me and I fallen to the floor, I'd be upset with myself. Do you feel like it would be your ego that would be yeah, damaged? I think so. Uh, but it, because I mean, it shouldn't be like you, you know, you know, someone, punching a drunk guy is yeah. or i mean you know someone just attacking someone else yeah. out of nowhere you're like that shouldn't happen just yeah. in normal life you shouldn't feel bad about being on the receiving end of that yeah but for some reason we would so if you've got three friends if you've got friends joking about the fact that you didn't defend yourself against three people <laughs> i think you would definitely have some sort of stronger claims from friends to say you, you know i'm surprised you didn't look you know you didn't defend yeah. yourself i i think i would have been embarrassed if I'm on, if I'm completely honest, I would have been embarrassed if it was one person and I'd not, you know, I'd not done anything about it. Yeah, I'm just interested. You know, when you when you've been reflecting on this, how long ago did it happen now? Five weeks. 
five weeks ago five weeks I ago mean, it, it's still relatively fresh yeah um what's been sort of the most surprising thing to you when you've been reflecting on it i remember on the saturday saturday afternoon i remember feeling a bit quite sad for a couple of hours and i just felt myself in this funk and i needed to go out and record some voiceover for the podcast and i wasn't going to do it and i just thought you've got to get yourself out of the the, the bedroom and, and get up and do something i felt really good waiting outside for the taxi to go to this recording studio i thought i've, I've got out the i got out the room because i had you know i maybe had an excuse to stay in and say oh, i'm gonna lick my wounds but it, yeah. nothing it, it, apart from feeling sad and then doing the podcast after i felt good and then sunday i just stayed in that evening sunday i was around the family for a few hours and we had food and things but the monday was the big day where i really i feel like i had a delayed reaction to what happened and the monday it hit because in the morning I was in a Spanish class with one of the student and the teacher and we were reading out a Spanish text and we were taking turns reading. And in that moment, when I was reading the text, I felt this panic attack just come straight through my body and I'd not had a panic attack for a while. And if anyone's listening who's had panic attacks before, they know that it comes to you as a shock or it comes to you as a surprise entirely. You're not expecting it to happen. For those of us that haven't, can you describe it? It's like a shortness of breath. It's like a... <gasps> out of nowhere and you feel like you can't breathe. It's just this overwhelming fear. And when that really just rises through your body, it almost grips hold of you. And you have this feeling of fight or flight. It's get the hell out of there, you're in danger, you're about to be eaten by a dinosaur or something, mm. or run away and run as fast as you can. And because I've experienced this before, obviously I was I was scared in that moment. I still had the experience to know that this will pass. I just had this feeling of this will pass. So as I was reading this text, I started to stutter. And I, I said, oh, I, I don't know what part we're, we're up to. So I, the... the the other student next to me was able to say, oh, we're up to this section. So it allowed me the time to actually remember, it allowed me the time to process this and let the let the panic attack go, and I was able to continue the text. Now, why would I get a panic attack related to an incident where I'd been beaten up three days previously? Why was that to do with reading out loud? Well, the first panic attack I ever had in my life was when I was 14, and I was doing a speech about the pros and cons of cannabis yeah, I was in the fourth year of high school and I remember being in front of 40 students. I was speaking so fast because I was nervous. I kind of lost breath. I wasn't able to continue speaking and it was this... <gasps> couldn't, didn't, wasn't breathing throughout and then just went red all over, started shaking. The teacher did nothing to help me. She just stayed at the back of the room and didn't do anything. So there and then I just collapsed in that moment. And every time I had a, a speech to do afterwards, I was just overwhelmed with fear and terror. And that's what came back to me. And I, I reflected afterwards and I thought, isn't that interesting that I've had an attack? I've been attacked on a few days previously. And this is morphed into an, a, a, a previous trauma my counsellor, because I, I speak to a counsellor once once or twice a week, and she said that's what's termed as complex PTSD when you have two unrelated traumas that just merge together. In the in the, the, the days and the weeks that have since the attack, I've had to re really rebuild my confidence. And, you know, I'm I've got my own business, I've got staff and, you know, I'm considered a 
an all right speaker and I just felt like I was 14 or 15 years old again so really this was a my masculinity being challenged and thinking am I 14 15 years old or am I am I 35 year old man like I thought I was even just having conversations on the phone with people has you know if I'm speaking for a longer period of time I'm aware of the panic attacks I had from speaking to 40 students when I was in, in English class with when I was 14, 15 years old. And you found it just sort of seeping into every aspect of your life? Absolutely, yeah, it has seeped into every, every aspect of my life. It's great that you're speaking to a counsellor so often. I, I definitely feel I've improved my confidence over the last, the, the last four or five weeks. It's just week by week, it's got better. It's good to hear. You know, I've got different breathing exercises that I'm doing and, and just being honest about about how I'm feeling and I'm no less no less of a man by by speaking out because some people do feel like like that and I've realized over the years when I've had panic attacks and you know I've spoken to spoken to this counselor that you know you feel the more you reveal your vulnerability the better you become the stronger foundations that you're able to build I only started speaking to people about how I felt when I was 29 30 so that was only 5 years ago so I'd kept all of this to myself you know, for most of my life. A really interesting scenario happened. I'm in Porto, in Portugal right now. I had no data, no Wi-Fi. It was 3.30 a.m. I'd been to a nightclub. I don't want people to think I'm drunk all the time. I mean, I probably get drunk maybe two or three times a year. And I uh, I had to walk home because there was no taxis. I couldn't go order an Uber. So it was almost like conquering the, the demon or whatever because I walked all the way home through some dark streets and was able to get to the front door okay. And my counsellor had told me to, as an exercise to run and pretend that you're running away from the attackers and almost like the, the situation never happened. So I kind of walked and ran because it was quite a way. So I walked and ran, walked and ran and pretended that there was there were three guys chasing me. I was able to get around the corner and get away. Jeez. So she told me that was a good thing to do. I, I, I think it helped. But it was, like, it was almost like the world saying, okay, we're, we're going to take your data and Wi-Fi away from you. You can't... You can't flag a taxi over i want you to actually confront this i think it's just giving me coping mechanisms if i feel like i'm going to have a panic attack or i feel like any negative thought gets into my head if that comes to me yeah i'm just i'm able to deal with it better i mean i've not had any panic attacks for a few weeks now which is obviously a great thing and it shows that i'm making improvements and it's also interesting as well when you say this to friends they then say, well, I had a panic attack about this, this and this, and it happened at this point in time. That's been eye-opening. And I think sometimes it's, it takes you to speak out first for someone else to then speak out about how they felt because I wouldn't have known otherwise that they had a panic attack. Yeah. And it's people that I didn't expect because I thought they were so masculine, they're such strong men, they've got great foundations. But actually, anyone, if they're going through a trauma, they deal with it in different ways and, and you can you can have panic attacks and things like that. Yeah, it is often inside someone's mind. You don't know what sort of challenges other people are facing. A lot of people are very good at putting up a front that just makes you think that they are, you know, invincible. As a man, I, I definitely feel like I do that, or <laughs> attempt to do that, probably a little bit more than I should. Just to sort of wrap up, following this incident, we spoke about it pretty quickly afterwards. We decided to change the subject of this season. Can you talk us through sort of what the decision-making process was there, why we've gone down this route and sort of why it's important to you that we, that we cover this topic? 
Well, I think from the the previous seasons, I have been very passionate about the stories that men have about any sort of challenges they've they've faced. I spoke to a guy called Mike McCarthy, whose whose son Ross killed himself a couple of years ago, and Mike's doing some excellent work in campaigning for more support for men. The biggest killer of men under forty five is suicide. And I think a lot of that is to do with men keeping things to themselves and not speaking out. So I just felt this overwhelming urge and motivation to give men a platform to speak about all sorts of things. It doesn't necessarily have to do with trauma or, or mental health issues. I just, I'm just very fascinated in what it means to be a man. What is masculinity in, in modern times? How is it different to how masculinity was portrayed 30, 40, 50 years ago when our fathers and grandfathers were growing up. And I feel like in today's world, a lot of things are not said. You're only starting to see now in the last few years, sports stars, for example, footballers, rugby players, boxers, whoever it might be, basketball players in America actually speaking about their their mental health. Or like I said, it might not just be mental health, it might be all sorts of different areas of of what it means to be a man. So I'm very, very passionate about it and I can't wait to get the series out there and get people's stories from different walks of life into the uh, public sphere. Thanks for listening to today's episode where I talked about the scary situation I was involved in recently. Hope you liked it. Make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts and while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review as it really helps us to grow as a show. Thanks so much and see you next week for another great story. Thanks so much for listening. Now you probably know I'm looking to grow this show. Since you're here, I'm guessing you're a fan, but you might not know how to help. Here's how. 1. Tap follow wherever you're listening. 2. Give it a 5 star review on your podcast app. This helps more people discover the show. Three, send this episode to one person. They'll thank you for it later. I really appreciate your help. See you on the next one.